Welcome to Breaking Business Barriers, where we believe that choosing to go all in is the only way to create true freedom in your business and life. Now join your hosts, Brent Duhane, Dr. Joseph Kay, and Brandon Straza, as they talk to industry leaders, veteran CEOs, and cutting edge entrepreneurs about the tough decisions they made on their way to success. This is Breaking Business Barriers. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Business Barriers. I am your co-host, Brandon Straza, also known as The Real Naked Agent, along with Dr. Joseph Kay and Brent Duhan. And today we are continuing our epic trip journey experience into prison, but we're going to flip it today. And Dr. Joseph Kay, also known as Doc, is going to interview Brent and I on our time and experience in uh, prison at a Max 4 penitentiary in Kern with Steve Sims, the real Wizard of Oz. So Joseph, we're going to turn it right over to you and take it away. Yeah, so you guys went to prison, as you guys will often say, and I wanted to throw a few things out there and uh, jump in and, and correct me if I'm um, mistaken on any of these. Uh, when you say you went to prison, it, you were not um, sentenced and incarcerated. You you went to prison as part of a, a entrepreneurial, charitable, nonprofit venture. Is that that's correct, right? That is absolutely correct. <laughs> Very good. I always say that to people like, oh, yeah, they went to and people are like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, is, is everything OK with them? And I had no idea. It seemed so unlike them. Um, but this was for uh, this was through a gentleman named Steve Sims, and it was for an organization named Defy Venture. Correct. Correct. All right, cool. And uh, I'll, I'll toss to um, uh, Brandon first, and then I'll go to Brent. Uh, Brandon, who, who is Steve Sims? Uh, Steve Sims, I had the fortune of meeting him earlier this year in Thailand, a random place that, uh, you know, maybe you go to, but I was over there for a mastermind and had the fortune of getting to know him a little bit and now his son. But Steve Sims created a company by the name of uh, Blue Fishing, I believe, and he's got a book out there right now. But uh, Forbes magazine dubbed him the real Wizard of Oz, and he makes the impossible possible for uh, all different types of people from the ultra elite to Sir Richard Branson, Elton John, Elon Musk that he works with. Uh, and uh, in the last few years, he's, he's, you know, kind of tweaked up his business model and uh, more people have access to him like you, Brent and I, and uh, getting to work with him and what he puts together with the five ventures is just one aspect of it, of getting to work with EITs, entrepreneurs in training uh, through their program. It's a seven-month program that uh, helps them build out their resumes, their business plan pro formas, and then they get to do a Shark Tank-style pitch at the end of that time period, which we were a part of this time. And uh, there's, uh, it gets down to the top five and then uh, the top winner, and they're able to have funds for when they are uh, <clears throat> when they're released from prison, as 90% of men and women will be released. Over 50% end up back incarcerated. But through programs like Defy Ventures, that number is decreasing to five to seven percent are are going back into prison. So there's kind of a nutshell. All right, and I guess I'll go to, uh, to Brent now. So uh, when Brandon was talking about these EITs, he's not talking about uh, uh, people coming straight out of college or or leaving high school and starting a business. He's talking about people that have been convicted of a crime and are, are currently serving time in a, a pretty high level 
uh, maximum security prison, which is, I guess, where Defy Venture comes in. And just give me your, your nutshell 20,000 uh, foot view of, of Defy Venture, Brent. What are they about? Yeah, Defy Venture is a nonprofit organization that specifically uh, operates, I believe, in five states and it will continue to expand. But again, they're a nonprofit. And, and President Andrew, he's, a, he's a, a gent really bent on on this mission. And, and so what they do, as Brandon alluded to, is they go into the prison systems and the one that we happen to be in is a level four, the highest maximum security prison for violent offenders. So it's it's not a real, real fun, it's not a real fun zoo to go to when, when you think about it like that. Some of the folks, the EITs, entrepreneurs in training, rather than calling them convicts or inmates or anything like that, there were 43 of them in this in this class that was about to graduate and uh, before they all came with business plans they were rated by 18 of us that were volunteers and the opportunity for them and some of the business plans that i saw nearly all of them were phenomenally well done considering the fact they don't have access to internet and being able to come up with some of the data that they did you know they managed to have some friends and family do some research for them but Defy is really focused in on this. It's, it's it, again, as a nonprofit, we each gave money to to this, uh, not only to attend, but we we did a donation, and and uh, that's how, like any other nonprofit, survives. Oh yeah, yeah. I have, I have some experience in the nonprofit sector, and it's uh, it can be a struggle at times. It relies on a, a large network of folks, uh, probably like they relied on the two of you previously. So let me go back to, to Brandon real quick. Brandon, this is your second time at, uh, at this particular institution and with this particular venture. You, you went out with Defy uh, and Steve Sims. Uh, it was like three years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So in, in brief, what made you come back? Yeah, um, short and simple. I made a promise to the guys and gals at Kern that were involved in the program. And originally when I was there in April, there was about 70 EITs. Unfortunately, that has been uh, dwindled down to around 40 because anything, you get in trouble for anything, you're kicked out of the program. Now, some people do walk away from the program and they just say it's too much, but it's interestingly enough, several of um, the EITs had mentioned that fortunately, I don't know if the term was their sponsor, but their leader, someone else who is also currently incarcerated, but it has gone through the program, uh, kept them in it and explained why they need to stay into it. So I made a promise um, to these EITs and they, they come from the land of broken promises. So you don't want to just be one more promise that you break. Yeah, that's an, that's an excellent point and probably a pretty apt diagnosis of how many people wind up in situations like that as a series of broken promises when they were a kid. Um, Brent, when you, before you ever went this last time, you probably had some preconceived notions of what these EITs were going to be like. And then you probably had some revelations as to what they turned out to be like. Either your worst fears were confirmed or, or you stumbled upon some new information. So if you could tell me what you expected of these folks before you met them and what you found after you met them, uh, I'd be real interested. Yeah, that was a question I was asked several times on the two-hour bus ride from L.A. to Kern. You know, what do you expect? And I, I, I answered as 
my answer is still the same. I really went in with a blank slate or a clean slate, not to have preconceived notions. You know, I knew a little bit about, you know, just Brandon gave me a couple minute overview his first, but he really, uh, he really wanted me to experience it rather than tell me all about his experience, which was really cool. So I really, I went into it with a preconceived blank slate. <laughs> And with with intention, was I nervous? A lot of people asked, no, not not in the least. Um, but I did walk away with three things among that that are so simple, it's scary. So what I walk away from or with was <clears throat> about the about the EITs. No, number one, how smart they are. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, not not that every prison inmate is, is, uh, you know, a ding-a-ling or something, but I, I walked away with, uh, they're highly intelligent. Some of those folks did presentations that college grads couldn't even think about doing. I'm not kidding you. They were really good. Number two, how well their handwriting or how good their handwriting looks. Hmm. Fa- fantastic. Think about it. They don't type, you know, yeah. they're not, they're not typing and, and they write all the time with, with whomever they have communication with. And again, like I mentioned earlier, uh, the amount of detail that went into the business plans with very limited access to resources. And those, those were three really simple things among a whole ton of emotion and all the things that we did all day today in the breakouts, not just from listening to business plans, but there was some pretty uh, high stress, call it high stress reality times throughout the day. Yeah, that, that is, those are interesting observations. Um, it's something. So ultimately walking away, would you say, I know you, you walked in kind of tabula rasa with a blank, blank slate, but was your gut feeling, hey, these, these people are a little better put together than I thought? Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Along with being extremely polite. I had to, I had to kind of pinch myself a few times knowing the fact that these folks, now they weren't white college criminals they were violent offenders and of which some will never get out sure of which one person was uh, was sentenced at age six he was uh, thrown in juvie and uh, 134 years so wow. i won't mention uh, even about imagine what happened but uh um 134 years there, there are two guys in there who've never driven a car you know wow. so when you th- when you think about that, what's the American dream when you're when you're, you know, a kid, man? I want to get behind the wheel, windows down, and cruise around in the vehicle. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. All right, uh, Brandon. We, you had been there once before, and you came back. What What do you feel you just you personally contribute to these people's lives? Yeah, I mean, I think. To be honest with you, Dalton. Yeah, yeah, it is because I really feel that we get more out of it than probably they do. Um, we're able to come back, as they call it, uh, to the real world. And one of the things that I say is when we get up in the morning, we can go to our refrigerator, open it up. We have been the ones that have put the stuff in there. No one tells us what we can take out, what we can put in. And there's a lot of things that we have that we take for granted and continue to take for granted. I know I do myself because you can't sit there all day long and think about that. So again, I, I definitely feel that we get more out of it than, than what they do. Um, what we bring to them, and again, you know, I, I can only hope that we bring some form of hope 
I, I saw the EIT's expressions when they saw some of the same faces. And there was probably, if I had to guess, five to seven of us that came back from the last trip. And the looks on their faces, and they even said it, that one of the first things some of them said is, I, I, I was so excited that you guys came back, that some of the same people came back. And so I think hope and trust and belief is is are, are some of the things that we bring to them. And then from there, when they sit there and they realize that we're genuinely interested in helping them with their business plan, with their idea, giving them feedback, um, because a majority of us do only run our own companies, uh, they they sit there and realize, holy crap, there there is hope, there is a there is a future of people out there that realize that we came from a different life. We came from a different reality, but that there, there, there is a future and it gives them a reason. There was someone that I, that I spoke with that last year alone, uh, they had a, they had a life sentence and laws change all the time. The person's getting out, I think in 16 to 18 months, maybe it maybe it might be less than that. Uh, the governor of California changed some laws, uh, and I don't know how exactly that that system works, but I'm just going off of what I was told. And that person's going to be getting out. That's that's crazy when you think about that. And so, because of uh, programs like uh, Defy Ventures, we're able to work with and 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 give a better outlook. Because if you're going to have 90% of these uh, of these EITs of these uh, of of these individuals getting out. There needs to be a better future and a better uh, a better way forward for them to integrate back into society, so they aren't going back in. Yeah, absolutely, um, Brent. I I was thinking about this last night, trying to prepare for this morning, and I had uh, what I thought was an interesting thought at the time, and I know that my own belief. I've always thought that the that one thing entrepreneurs have. Uh, more than the average person, let's say, is a tolerance for risk. You know, an entrepreneur will put his or her um, relationships on the line, finances on the line, uh, self-esteem. I mean, entrepreneurs are risk takers and great entrepreneurs are great calculated risk takers. And it struck me, probably a lot of people in prison took some risks too. You know, there's probably an overlap between uh, the tolerance for risk uh, a person in prison has and an entrepreneur. Now, clearly, uh, the, the things people are taking risks on are different. You know, I mean, robbing a bank is risky uh, and starting a business is risky. Uh, they're just two very different things, but the tolerance for risk is the same. Do you think uh, someone who has found him or herself in prison can tap into that tolerance for risk and kind of leverage it in the business world? Funny you should ask that. So we went through a series of Q&A where the volunteers, 18 of us were on one side of a, a line and, and then the 43 EITs are on the other side. We take a step back from the line and anytime something was true, you step towards the line. So. Perfect question that you asked there because there was a question that said, uh, who in here, and the question would apply to both EITs and the volunteers, mm. has ran their own business. All 43, now, doesn't mean it's legal. <laughs> it 
could be illegal. All 43 stepped up to the line and there are a number of us that were uh, on the volunteer side that did as well. Everyone did chuckle at that. And uh, that was a little humor and in some, in what was a bunch of otherwise heavy moments. But yeah, absolutely. And I think the Defy Venture Program for this is, is probably why these, these fellas did so well with their plans because they are risk takers, but they did a good, really, really good job of, of throwing details together, numbers, performance. I mean, it was unbelievable. So absolutely, you can, you can tell. You can certainly tell that uh, they, they weren't afraid to, uh, to put themselves out there. And I, and I say that, put themselves out there, because there was some, um, there was some pretty poignant, Brandon, Brandon could get into this, but there were some pretty, there were some heavy moments where there weren't too many dry eyes on the volunteer side because it was pulling at your heart. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and, and to think about we're standing across the room from one another, just a couple of steps with um, people that may have killed someone, certainly stabbed. That happens there in the prison every day, according to, according to, uh, uh, some of the folks that did intros for us, but yeah, they're risk takers. There's no doubt about it. That's probably why maybe, maybe not so calculated when you, when you find themselves, uh, you know, 10, 20, 130 years in prison. Well, I think you brought up a good point there that I hadn't really thought of. There's probably a lot of other things aside from just general risk taking, uh, or risk tolerance that, um, that some some may have encountered just naturally growing up. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of mental math to figure that a mid-level drug dealer, and I'm not advocating mid-level drug dealing as a path forward through business, but you probably have to worry about distribution and supply lines and pricing and who owes you what and when to collect and this and that. I mean, it's, it's probably pretty comparable in a lot of ways to running a little startup, you know, a, a scrappy little cocaine startup on the corner. I mean, there's a... There's a lot there that in a better environment or perhaps with better guidance or better opportunity could be done. Brandon, uh, Brent had mentioned some, uh, he had mentioned some poignant moments uh, without going into too much personal detail uh, and certainly without mentioning any names. Um, Give me something poignant. And it could just be an internal thing, like a feeling you had uh, after this encounter. Yeah, the the experience from last time when you were working on their business plan, their performance, their resumes, um, just just their talk paths, and and what really got you was completely different from this time. As a lot of the stuff, I, as ready as one can be for it, but what got me was about three fourths through the day, you see through the windows the family members that are going to be there. And it doesn't really affect you, but you're like, oh, they're the family members. You knew that they're coming because they're coming for graduation day, cap, gown. And a lot of the, a lot of the EITs is the first cap and gown they've ever gotten to wear, which how cool is that? So when, when we come in, there's a tunnel, screaming, hollering, hooting, high fives, and uh, it's, it's pretty intimidating. But this time around, I was super ready for it. Well, the same thing happens when the parents come in about three-fourths through the day because now they're going to be there to listen to some of the final pitches 
and the EITs are going to get to talk to those family members that uh, are still in contact. And I won't go into much detail, but like, think about that. How many of the, how many of the uh, men and women that are incarcerated actually still have contact with their families for, uh, for various and sundry reasons? So you see the EITs come through that tunnel of arms, and if they've got a family member there with them, they're coming through with them, and all of a sudden it hits you. And, and, and it hits you again when you see them talking about what that family member means to them. And then it hits you again when you see the goodbyes. And, and what I mean by that is I'm a father. Joseph, you are. Brent, you are as well. And you look at the family members and you're like, holy crap. And they're, they're a parent or a brother or sister because you do see some siblings that are there or uh, one which was really difficult was was probably an 18, 19 year old son with his grandmother and his dad was in um, was uh, was in the program. And you're like, that could be me, no matter how how hard we try, no matter how much love or support that we give our children at a certain point. And they can choose to go this way or this way. And we can't be there for every moment of their life. And I, I mean, I, I teared up. Steve Sims comes around me as as the EITs are talking with their, their family. And he, he says, and this is my horrible English accent, are you crying? And I'm like, like a baby. And he, he puts his arm around me, kind of gives a bear hug and gives me uh, a Kleenex. But there wasn't a dry eye in the house. When you see a father grasp his son and you just kind of gives that little, like head rub massaging thing. And then the son who comes in and looks super dapper and, you know, he's, he's tall, he's proud, he's there, he's there to see his dad. And, but then the son break down and the father break down as they're getting ready to leave. It, you, you, that's, that's as much as I can really explain. Like you just, you lose it and you sit there and you want to come home and see your wife and, and your, your children and just hold on to them. You just don't know what could change. Yeah. I, prior to, to working in this field, I had worked in um, uh, lockdown facilities and, and a few, a few high level places. And that's a, a great observation. It always struck me when family came to visit how these big, you know, ostensibly intimidating folk, just you saw them as little kids, you know, and the, the interaction you saw between the father and the son in the, the room where, you know, he kind of cradled him. Um, you see that that man become a boy, and that's a, a very uh, impactful moment because you, you then you see all the potential paths forward for your own son uh, or your own daughter, and that, that is something. Brent, when you came back from this, when you came back into the real world, as they say, did you make any resolutions? Did you did you think to yourself, I've I've seen something, or I've experienced something that kind of makes me see the world in a new light, and I'm going to choose to do blank from here on out? Somewhat. And by the way, that two-hour bus ride back to LA was awfully darn quiet on the way there. It was mm. chit chat. And we were exhausted. I can probably say that for Brandon. He and I spoke about it. Then the exhaustion really hurt, hit me the next day. And we were told that's what would happen. The re maybe not necessarily a resolution, but it did make a commitment that, that I, I believe I shared with Straz is I really, I really believe more people need to experience something like this. And, you know, 
if you've ever had a family member or friend on the other end of a violent crime, you know, we can get pretty hard and then cast a, a big shadow over every person that's been in there. They are human beings. What is there's some odd noise going on. Yeah, yeah. It's, sorry, no one's vacuuming or anything like that, but maybe that was, um, maybe I'm just a little hungry this morning. I'm not sure. <laughs> but anyway, you know, if you've ever had a family or, or, or a friend on the other end of a violent crime, and, and it, it, you, can, you can look at inmates, criminals, and just cast a, a big old shadow over them and say they all suck. I really, really do believe that if everyone would have an opportunity with Defy, a great organization, to experience something like this. And, and let me tell you, let me tell you why. You know, again, I had to pitch myself a lot of times sitting across from someone who murdered two people. He told me that. And now there's, you know, right or wrong or indifferent, I'm not gonna get into it. But part of part of the Defy group, uh, an employee spent 18 years incarcerated and that that gentleman is probably in his early to mid 30s <laughs> somewhere right in there and you would never know it good looking good looking young buck smart uh is is uh, refocused on helping those people that he was bunked up with also and, and coincidentally enough Brandon and I did a little uh, adventure the day before, uh, do a little tour, and one of the we walk into this place and they ask, "Hey, what are you doing?" And you know, in LA, what's up? You know, we told them what we we're doing, and and funny enough, one of the employees there had been in Kern for uh, he'd been out now six years, I believe it was. So you know, these people can get on the right track. And he thought it was amazing what we were doing. He didn't have that opportunity when he was there. And so, hey, some of these people don't return and some of them are gonna be really productive. So again, I think a visit, it's a commitment. I'll tell you that, but I, I will share this story with anyone who cares to listen. I'll encourage them to connect with Defy. Yeah, I'll sit there real quick and just kind of piggyback off what Brent said about the gentleman that we met. And he had been in and out six or seven prisons, and it wasn't until about the age of 34, and he's 40 now, so six years ago, that uh, he said every time he would get dropped off, and I'm in a ballpark, he said they gave me $200, and it was on my way, and I was one step away from getting back with one of my ex-girlfriends or my old friends, whatever it was, because I had no other options, and he's like, I really wish there were pro programs like this to five ventures. When when I went through Kern, went Chino, and then a list of other ones that he had been and out of, but he realized that um, that you know if there, if there were programs like this and people that actually cared like this, it could have made a difference earlier in his life. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, Brandon, you're gonna you're gonna go back. You're gonna continue your relationship with this, or is this structured to be like a finite thing where you participate for x number of months and then a new group comes in and participate yeah that's a good question so it's definitely not a finite thing if, um if i wanted to go back absolutely i could i haven't really uh faced that one not only it's not just my decision it's my you know a uh, family decision because you know i am taking time away from either businesses or, or family and no one wants to sit there like oh well i can't 
but that that's a reality is you have to sit there and you can only divide up so much of your time. Uh, I believe that Steve Sims, obviously the five ventures is going to, and, uh, it is, it is like you said, I mean, like we're flying out to LA and, um, and, and you know, everything that comes along with that. The cool thing is, is Defy is looking to get back into the state of Texas. Hmm. There's a whole story on why they're not in the state of Texas. I'm not going to go <laughs> into, um, I do know that story, at least part of it, but, uh, they are looking to get back into the state of Texas. And so, uh, hopefully with something like that, that I'd be able to start taking um, some groups of people and, and getting people to, as opposed to saying, hey, BD, let's hop on a plane, head to uh, Kern. Maybe we could get something going here uh, once defies in Texas. Brent, how about you? Is this, a, is this a venture, so to speak, that you'd like to continue your relationship with? Or is it kind of sparked you in a positive way to go out and explore other ways you can uh, leverage your skills to give back? I think really both. Um, one thing that we haven't mentioned of the other 17 volunteers, I only knew two others personally. And so there was a great connection there. And most of these folks are some sort of entrepreneur, business owner, whatever the case might be. So that, that was really, really cool. So it's just not going into a prison. I'm, I'm of the adage of, I'm going to encourage anyone to go make this experience a reality. And I would like to be part of Texas or maybe even Oklahoma, anything like that, to be able to help defy. I think that would be, uh, I think that'd be the commitment I'm, I'm leaning towards. I don't know that I'll go back to current. I didn't promise or say that I would to anyone. Uh, but it's certainly something that I'll, I, I do want to make sure and keep it alive. Sure. Well, I think, uh, um, uh, not to sound uh, weird about it or anything, but I'm just, I'm so proud that you guys did that. And uh, it's such a, a great uh, thing. And it's, it's, it's just commonplace of, of the two of you in general. I know, uh, uh, Brandon, you and I talk quite a bit uh, during the day, and, and you're always looking for angles to give back, uh, often to, you know, organizations that, that uh, certainly are, are uh, interesting and positive and and Brent I can't open Facebook without seeing you uh, thank some group I saw you just last night uh, I know you're real supportive of veterans causes I saw you with a photograph of a veteran kind of giving thanks to him um, and uh, that, that's the kind of people I want to be around the, the kind of people that are looking for ways to give back and, and um, I'm just real, real happy to, to be involved with the two of you I think it's a great story you know, uh, let me let me put reality into this, so folks. You know, you can about you can't imagine what this is like, but we're going through a high security uh, level four again. There's not a there's not a level higher, and we're we're herded outside into through security and doing this that and the other thing. The only the only thing that we were allowed to bring was our driver's license. So you know, all right, get it, and. And we go through this security. It's like a high-level airport security thing, if you can imagine. Then we go outside, and, you, and you're surrounded by cages, um, razor blade wire, an electric fence that if you ever touch it, you'll end up like a piece of bacon that's been left on a frying pan for several hours, literally. <laughs> so, you know, you're looking at this vast complex. It's like a city. I mean, it's huge. So we're, we're out there, I think I was the second one through security, whatever it was, it doesn't really matter, but you're outside and super bright outside in California, not a stitch of wind really that you could feel. And I hear this loud thud from a distance. I look out and it looks like it's a quarter mile to our west, northwest. I see this plume of black smoke. 
didn't really think much of it, you know. I mean, here we are in a high security deal. Maybe there's some construction going on, whatever. Well, within a two or three minutes, everyone starts to sneeze and cough. <laughs> my, my throat starts to burn, literally, and it was weird. There was no dust in the air. I'm thinking, what? what's going on? And everyone, as they're coming through the security, they're out there. Long story short, ended up being a um, pepper grenade because <laughs> a fight broke out in one of the yards and we just happened to be perfectly downwind from that thing. So that was our reality. That was within a few minutes of being through security. So, you know, real deal. And uh, the place went into lockdown. Uh, according to one of the EITs, we didn't hear any of the alarms because we had to, we had to walk probably several hundred yards to uh, where we were going. But that was, that was a good reality check of the type of place that we were going into. Yeah, I guess that's, that's probably a good place to come full circle on this is that, um, that those considering to give back in this particular way, um, it is a different way of giving back. You know, I mean, you can you can choose to go, uh, you know, help help out your fellow person in a bunch of different ways. This is a this is a different way. This is per perhaps a more intense way. And like I said, I think this is indicative of the entrepreneurial mindset: is saying yes, saying what if, taking risks within reason. Um, in a lot of ways, I think that's what uh, this show is about. So, any uh, any last words? No, not really. Um, but one thing that we always try to get out, if, if the listener out there has any questions on this, please reach out to us. Again, you've got a wealth of knowledge, a world of knowledge between uh, Joseph, Brent, and myself and our experiences through businesses, entrepreneurship, and continue to have those. So, please reach out to us. Uh, upcoming shows uh, when it comes to our Friday open court. Uh, we're, we're getting our ideas, which is really cool from the listeners out there. They reach out to us and they sit there, they're asking us questions and uh, they're giving us the ideas that they want to hear. And that's what we want to do. We want to talk, we want to talk about the ideas and thoughts that you've got. So again, my name is Brandon Straza, also known as the real naked agent, along with Dr. Joseph K. And Brent Duhame. We'll see you on the airwaves. You've been listening to Breaking Business Barriers. For more information, or if you have a compelling story to tell, find us on Facebook at Open Media Source.